we are honestly winding down in our lessons in Christology, believe it or not. Um, mind you, I say that for now because I'm always, I'm expecting to do like when we get to union with Christ, I'm probably going to do like six or something like that. I doubt it though, but maybe because last time we were together in Christology, we did four lessons, right, Anthony, on the resurrection. So we did four lessons alone on the resurrection and we touched on different things concerning the resurrection. Um, and we learned many things concerning Christ's resurrection, how it relates to us. Um, now, where do we go from here? So I've, I try to set up these lessons in um, a chronological timeline of the life of Christ. So what happens after the resurrection of Christ? Does anyone want to know? Guess? Well, what happens after is he goes up to heaven. Now, it doesn't happen immediately after, though, right? In 40 days, he's on earth. But then he goes up to heaven. Now, I'm not to say that your reluctancy to answer what happens at the resurrection um, is any fault of yours. But it's merely a fault in Christianity as a whole. Because a lot of times when we consider the life of Christ, we think the resurrection of Christ is the exclamation mark of the life of Christ. Like, that's where it ends, right? And how do I know that? We don't follow a, litur- a liturgical calendar, Protestants per se, right? I mean, Lutherans and Anglicans do. Um, Roman Catholics, Eastern Orthodoxy, and, and, and Lutherans, they, they all follow this liturgical calendar, and they celebrate various things concerning the Christian faith, you know, throughout specific days. So, for instance, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. The world knows it as what? Easter. Okay? We celebrate the incarnation of the eternal Son. We know that as what? Christmas. But you notice, though, that we don't celebrate the ascension. We don't celebrate the passion. Right? We don't, we don't adhere to what's called Holy Saturday, um, when Jesus Christ descends to the place of the dead. Right? So we really only focus on from a liturgical standpoint, the resurrection and the incarnation. But we don't pay any mind to what happens 40 days after the resurrection. And that is another crazy event. In fact, it's probably more crazier than the resurrection itself. And that is a man goes to heaven. That's pretty pretty (laughs) sci-fi-ish, right? I mean, if you didn't think that And if you're talking to an unbeliever, okay, unbeliever, we believe that Jesus Christ, who is the eternal son, was also man, rose from the dead. They're going to say, oh, my gosh, that is so spooky. Hey, but honestly, too, also 40 days later, that same man that resurrected went into heaven, right? It's pretty uh, twilight-ish, okay? Oh, and then we are still waiting for that man to return, (laughs) right? That's pretty crazy. So, um, there is a neglect when we consider the ascension, what's called, of Christ, okay? Um, not just from our vantage point, but I think in my readings, you don't hear much about it, as opposed to the resurrection, as opposed to the death. We all want to talk about the death and resurrection. The life of Christ and the life that he lives uh, of obedience unto God is vaguely spoken of, but more so than the ascension. But the ascension is sort of like on the back page, and you get a little bit of uh, commentary. What we want to do is we want to consider the ascension of Christ. And again, this is very, very hard because there's a lot of questions 
that we have to ask when we talk about the ascension that we just can't answer. For instance, when Jesus Christ raises from earth to go to heaven, what does that even mean then, right? Does that mean that if we took a rocket ship and we just, you know, put it with an infinity amount of gas, could we, at some point, once we pass earth to space, can we it to heaven? And then we will see God there or Jesus Christ there bodily. Right? It's kind of hard to, to apprehend and conceptualize these things as we know that heaven isn't necessarily a material spa- uh, place as well. Right? So we're saying that someone who is material is in an immaterial place. It's kind of hard. Um, nevertheless, we need to talk about the ascension of Christ. Why? Because the Bible speaks of the ascension of Christ. And I would argue the ascension of Christ... Um, is a lot of is the centerpiece of not the centerpiece but it's definitely part of the centerpiece that the that the um the disciples and the apostles preached and they spoke about the life of death the life of Christ the death of Christ the resurrection of Christ but also they spoke of the ascension of Christ and we also see the ascension of Christ um in uh two uh and many others but two of the the main creeds that we hold on to one be the Nicene Creed, and the other being the um, the Apostles' Creed. Um, so, the ascension of Christ. This is going to just be a brief overview. Okay, brief overview. And I was I was I was going to tell Pastor Antonio because he's teaching the kids right now. Make sure you get on your lesson as soon as you get in there because we won't be in this thing pretty pretty uh, for a long time. So, the ascension of Christ. A brief overview. The biblical data to it, the benefits of it. We'll do a little bit of like getting into the weeds of it, but not much, okay? Uh, Because we're getting into the weeds of the ascension next time we're together. What is the ascension of Christ? What is the ascension? What is the ascension? Mind you, you're going to hear a lot of quotes this evening too. The Heidelberg Catechism defines this doctrine this way. Question, in question 46, what do you mean by saying he ascended to heaven? Answer, that Christ, while his disciples watched big, that's big, was taken up from the earth into heaven and remains there on our behalf until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. So Jesus Christ bodily before witnesses goes from earth to heaven. And we can get into, he sits on the right hand of the father and all that. Let's consider three questions concerning this doctrine. That's just going to take the, 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 the bulk of the time that we have together. And these three questions, or rather the outline of these three questions, are taken from um, a book called the Leiden Synopsis, um, which is very, very important as uh, concerning um, the Orthodox period, high Orthodox period. Number one, the number one question, to the place to which he ascended, we're going to answer the place to which he ascended. Number two, the question, the form or manner in which he ascended. Number three, the goals or fruits of this ascension. So number one, the place to which he ascended. Where did Christ go? Number two, the form or manner in which he ascended. And number three, the goals or the fruits of the ascension. Let's consider the first question, the place where he ascended. Again, the Lion Synopsis says this. By the consensus of all the gospel writers, the place to which Christ ascended is heaven. So where did he go? To heaven. By this, we do not mean the air or the visible skies, nor do we mean only a glorious and celestial state. But he went to the actual heavenly and glorious dwelling place of the blessed spirits, 
which scripture locates above and beyond all the visible heavens. So the place or the where did Christ ascend is to heaven. Where did he go? He went to heaven. Okay. We have this testimony of scripture. Hebrews 14, 4, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. First Peter three, verse 22, who, this is speaking of Christ, has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God and the angels, authorities and powers have being subjected to him. Mark 16, 19. So then Lord, uh, the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down on the right hand of God. John 3.13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And 1 Timothy 3.16, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaiming, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up to glory. So this is a very, very biblical doctrine. Jesus Christ ascended to heaven. Um, now, the second question we have to ask is this. What is the form or manner in which he ascended? The form or manner. The line synopsis again says this. The manner of Christ's ascension was real bodily as the whole gospel history testifies. So the manner or the form in which he went. So um, did he turn invisible? No, it was a real bodily low, uh, change of location. He went from earth to heaven. Okay. Um, this was not some disappearance into thin air before the eyes of the disciples. So when we confess that Jesus ascended into heaven, we are confessing a real bodily change from location A to location B. One of the questions that I would love to know or is our answers I would love to know is this. Was it like a dramatic you know, ending to a three-hour movie in which Christ is slowly going up into heaven? Or was it like a, um, like when you watch Superman, Superman, he has, at least the new one, he has, he garners up all this power and then boom, he goes up. You know, was it a fast one? I would love to know the answer to that as far as, okay, what's the speed like, right? I don't know. Um, apparently though, it was pretty, it wasn't that fast. Um, but uh, and no, I'm not going to try to answer that question later. Um, so there's it is a real bodily change in location. And we also see here that it was before the eyes of others. So others saw it. OK. And that latter part is important because Christ did not disappear. OK. We want to think that he says, oh, voila, and he's gone. <laughs> you can't see him. And then all that's left of him is just dust and smoke. And the disciples are saying, Where'd he go? No, 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 that's not what happens. Uh, he didn't turn invisible, right? Um, I'm playing this game right now, Spider-Man, and Spider-Man can turn invisible. Um, Christ does not turn invisible. We aren't to think that, okay? Christ did also not blind the eyes of witnesses, okay? So he didn't put on, he didn't give some sort of spell to the witnesses, disciples, and suddenly the disciples could not see, and then when they opened their eyes, he wasn't there. Uh, but rather... Christ ascended to heaven in bodily form. Now, this is very, 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 very important. Okay? I mean, there's, there's great news embedded in this. But this is a testimony of Scripture. Along with the verses that are we've considered, we read in John chapter 20, verse 17, Jesus says, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. 
But go and tell my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. He's saying, go tell them. Bring them over to see what's about to happen. In Acts chapter 7, verses 55 through 56, at the stoning of Stephen, Stephen has a vision of the Lord. It says, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, this is Stephen, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, uh, I see the heavens open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And I think the most convincing text is Peter's words in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, and said, men of Galilee, this is a really cool text, by the way, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heaven? So men of Galilee, why are you looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Very, very cool, is it not? Uh, The one whom you saw go to heaven in that manner will be the same way he returns from heaven to earth. Bodily. You saw Christ go up bodily. He's going to return bodily. Pretty cool. Wilhelmus Brockel, a Dutch Reformed theologian, says this. Christ, ascending according to the body, left the lower parts of the earth where he had resided for such a long time. He transversed through the atmosphere and the universe until he arrived in the third heaven, the paradise of God in the house of the Father. Real simple summarization, right? Christ, who was here on this earth for 33 years, went to heaven bodily. Now, one of the major questions that arises based upon what we just said is this. And this is actually what divides us uh, and Lutherans in concerning this doctrine of the ascension. Uh, since Jesus Christ is God, and we know that God is omnipresent, that means God is everywhere, then how can we say that Christ ascended to heaven? That doesn't make any sense, right? If Jesus Christ, who is God, is everywhere, how are we making the claim that Christ went somewhere when he's always been there? Okay. Now, this question that we must consider is only a half-truth. Okay, what I mean by that is, when we say Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, we must not forget that Jesus Christ is also truly man. Okay? So when we say that Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, what we are saying is, and this is a, we're getting into, you know, some thorny issues of metaphysics, but when we say that Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, what we are saying is, Jesus Christ, the person, the second person of the Trinity, according to his humanity, as man ascended into heaven. Francis Turretin and, and Wilhelm Sobrocco explained it well. Francis Turretin says, the same one who descended also ascended as to person. So what he's saying is Jesus Christ, who is the eternal son of God, never left heaven when he descended to earth, but not as to nature. For the divine descended but the human ascended. This act is in the work of the person. So this act, this act of ascending to heaven is a work of the second person of the Trinity, but does not belong properly to the divine nature. So now he's going to explain why. Prior to this moment, he who is the, who is God was already in heaven in his divine nature. So Jesus Christ as God was already in heaven. So there's no way that he could ascend to heaven. He's always been there. 
and had glory with the Father before the world was. Since his nature is infinite in wealth dimensions, however, because why? God cannot change. There is no motion in God. God cannot go from this place to this place. He's omnipresent. Rather, this property relates to the person according to his human nature, in which he also suffered. You, you guys know this well. So, for instance, if you were to speak to someone and, and you tell them, hey, Jesus Christ died, right? They're going to say, well, how can Christ die? He's God. You're going to say, well, yes, that is true, but Jesus Christ died according to his humanity, okay? He died as man. He suffered as man. Similarly, he ascended to heaven as man, okay? <clears throat> we'll get into more of that um, next time. Now, another question that we must ask before we consider the benefits of Christ's ascension is this. Was it necessary that Christ ascend to heaven? Was it necessary? Did he have to go? Okay? Couldn't he just stayed on earth? But did he have to go to heaven bodily? Well, um, the answer to this question, or there's many answers that we can give to this question. We can say that it was necessary for Christ to ascend to heaven so that he can pour out his spirit in greater, greater measure. Uh, we see that happening, or I mean, Christ speaks about this, you know, all throughout the Gospels, but also we see that in uh, the great day of Pentecost, um, where the Holy Spirit is poured out in a greater measure. Um, but I want to highlight just one point of necessity, and that is the high priestly office of Christ demanded his ascension. The high priestly office of Christ demanded his ascension. That means um, Jesus Christ takes on a threefold office, prophet, priest, or king, and in order for Christ to uphold his office of priest, he has to ascend to heaven. In the Old Testament, it was not sufficient for the high priest to just kill the animal. But his office required that he enter into the Holy of Holies, he enter into the tent with the sacrifice and the blood and present it to God. So, when the priest would offer the sacrifice on the behalf of the people, he would he didn't just have to kill the animal, but he would have to present the sacrifice to God. He would go have to go into the Holy of Holies. Okay? This is what we see in the Ascension. Jesus Christ is the priest, but also the victim. What that means is Christ is one who offers the sacrifice on the behalf of the people, but also he is the sacrifice himself. So he's both priest and he's both victim. At his ascension, what does Christ do? Christ goes into heaven. Heaven, he enters into the Holy of Holies like the priest did in the Old Testament, and he presents himself to the Father, just as the old, the old priest would present the sacrifice to the to God. That's what Jesus Christ does. There's a great connection we're going to talk about uh, soon between the Old Testament priests and what Christ does in his ascension. Right? This is what Hebrews 9.24 says, For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands. Not So he's in, Christ entering into a place not made with hands, like a tent, you have to put up, a tabernacle or a temple, which are copies of the true things to come, but into heaven itself. Christ enters into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Christ appears in heaven not for himself, because he doesn't need to be redeemed, but on our behalf. He presents himself. This is why, saints, you don't have to offer sacrifices to God. 
We don't, we don't, we're not under the old covenant and we don't have to offer up a lamb. Why? Because Jesus Christ has went to the Holy of Holies and because he's both priest and victim, he offers himself. That is great news. Extremely, extremely great news. Christ's presence before God on our behalf is the guarantee that God will be present with us by grace. Now, as we wind down, what are the benefits of this ascension? What are the benefits? In other words, okay, we, we learn the, the, um, we, we saw in scripture, we looked at some of the, the naughty questions concerning the, the ascension of Christ. How does it benefit us? What does it mean for us? Um, which, I mean, I actually don't need to give you these three points because I think, um, what I've already said is sufficient enough, uh, for us to have some sort of, um, um, now, comfort in this doctrine, but let me just give you three before we close. The first benefit. Man finds his ultimate destiny complete. Man finds his ultimate destiny complete. In the Garden of Eden, Adam was to work by obeying God. And if Adam would have completed his work, God would have rewarded Adam with a heightened communion bond. That is to say, Adam by grace would have entered into the presence of God and would have enjoyed the beatific vision. Grace was to elevate nature and ascend man into heaven. Again, grace was to elevate nature and ascend man to heaven. He was to enter into the very holy of holies with God um, and enjoy the beatific vision. What happens? We know that Adam failed to obtain this reward and one of the great miseries of the fall is that we have lost this potential enjoyment of God in being in his presence by grace. And throughout the history of man, man has tried to bridge the great divide between God and man. We know that there is a great chasm that exists between us and God and man throughout history have tried to bring that uh, those two parties together. It is said in Genesis 11, 4, Man says, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. This is what the the men say at the Tower of Babel. They're trying to build this great tower that it would exceed and surpass heaven itself. Isn't this what man has done throughout its history? Man has tried upon his own strength to reach God. This is what all other religions offer. They say you can, upon your own strength, reach God. The problem with every other religion outside of the Protestant religion is that it offers sinful man something that can never obtain. That's the great problem with Mormonism, great problem with Eastern Orthodox, with all these other religions, is that they offer something to the sinner that the sinner in and of himself can never obtain. They can never do it. And the great news, saints, is that we have one who has bridged that gap between man and God. By the life, death, and resurrection and the ascension of Christ, we finally have a way back to the Father. Jesus Christ became man. God became man so that man may have a communion and may... may, um, um, Enter into this relationship with God. Okay? 
Um, this is what's called the great exodus and return of creatures. And that is to say, creation comes from God. And by grace, creation returns to God. Creation comes from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. And in the Spirit, through the Son, we return to the Father. This is what it means for us to have communion with the Trinity. This is what John, this is what Jesus says again in John 20, 17. Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Christ's ascension, saints, is a model of our ascension. Christ's ascension is a model of our ascension. Christ ascending to the Father in very many ways speaks to our ascension to the Father. Now, you might say, oh, wait a minute, I'm not with the Father. I haven't gone anywhere. You are spiritually, right? As the brothers have said in the liturgy, you are an adopted son and daughter of God, are you not? There is a closeness that you have with God that your unbeliever friend does not have. Okay, You are present with God by grace, right? outside of and apart from nature. And we only receive this, or we only are uh, able to return to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. Jesus Christ, saints, is the answer to the Tower of Babel. He really is. He's the answer to man attempting to work their way into the Holy of Holies. Work their way to God. Now, how do we, how do we know that? Because Christ has entered into the Holy of Holies. And he done, has done so as man. One of ours. I mean, I don't know how many of you are from Bakersfield, but if, from, from, from myself, I love when I hear people are from Bakersfield that are doing things out there. Right? So like if, if there's an NBA player that's from Bakersfield, I'm going to root for him. Jesus Christ is one of us. He is a man like us, human like us. And he goes on our behalf. And he does what man could never do. And that is ascend to the Father. And because Christ ascends to the Father, we will ascend to the Father. Which is number two, the great benefit, we have an inheritance being prepared and secured for us. Because Christ's ascension, we have an inheritance being prepared and secured for us. John 14, 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go and prepare a place for you. A.W. Pink says concerning this text, I go to prepare a place for you. We understand this to mean that the Lord Jesus has procured the right for every believing sinner to enter heaven. He has prepared for us a place, thereby entering heaven as a representative and taking a possession of it on our behalf of his people. He has prepared for us a place by entering into the Holy of Holies, on high as our high priest carrying our names in with him. Christ would do all that was necessary to secure for his people and welcome a permanent place in heaven. Jesus Christ has secured heaven for us by his ascension. This is what Hebrews 9 verse 11 through 12 says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things having to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle made without hands that is not of his creation. So Christ enters into the tabernacle made without hands, which is what? Heaven. Christ enters into that tabernacle and not through the blood of bulls and goats or calves and goats, but through his own blood. 
He entered the holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So Jesus Christ doesn't present, goes into holy holies, goes into heaven as he ascends. He doesn't present a lamb. He presents himself. He says, here, Father, on the behalf of my people, right, will you accept this sacrifice? And the Father does. This is, this is great news. This is great news that we have heaven as our inheritance, but more so we have Christ, right? I mean, the great joy of heaven is not necessarily the place itself, but I mean, I would argue it's the vision that we will have. It's the communion that we will have with our triune God. And Jesus Christ has secured that for us. Right? He's, he's more than any security Christ has. And number three, lastly, by Christ's ascension, we have a pledge that we will be with Christ one day. By Christ's ascension, we have a pledge that we will be with Christ one day. I mean, isn't this the great longing for the Christian? That just one day we will be with Christ, right? The Heidelberg Catechism in question 49 says this. How does Christ's ascension to heaven benefit us? First, Christ, or first, he is our advocate in heaven in the presence of the Father. Second, we have our own flesh in heaven. This is beautiful. We have our own flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that Christ, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. And third, he sends his spirit to us on earth as a corresponding pledge. By the spirit's power, we seek not earthly things, but the things above where Christ is seating at the right hand of God. I want to just, before we close, consider this second and third benefit. This is absolutely beautiful here, okay? Again, the second benefit that the believers have because of Christ's ascension is that we have our own flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that Christ, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. Christ is our pledge and guarantee of heaven. Why? Because he is there in his humanity. And he will bring humanity to heaven where he is. Not because, strictly because, Christ is human and we are human, but because Christ is the head and we are the body. And where the head is, the body must be as well. This is why when Christ knocks over Saul, who is Paul, he says, why are you persecuting me? Notice that. Wasn't, wasn't Saul at that time persecuting the church? And what we see there is there was a relationship between what happens to the church also happens to Christ. And what happens to Christ also happens to the church. And where Christ is the head, he will bring the body because the head cannot be separate from the body. Jesus Christ, um, who is our flesh, ascended into heaven. And because we are his body and united him by faith, we can be certain that we will be with him one day as well. That's beautiful. And the third benefit is that Christ sends his spirit to us on earth as a corresponding pledge. The Holy Spirit is the one who unites us to Christ by faith. Right? So how do we get in Christ? By the Spirit. And here we see that the Holy Spirit is the corresponding pledge, the guarantee that Christ, all that Christ possesses is ours. So not only do you have Christ as a guarantee, but you have the Holy Spirit that indwells with you, within you, as a guarantee. As we close, Michael Horton says this. The Heidelberg Catechism reminds us that because of Christ's ascension, we now have a pledge of heaven in heaven. 
And we now have a pledge of heaven with us on earth as well. Let me break that down real quick. Because Christ's ascension, we have a pledge of heaven in heaven. What that means is we have a pledge of heaven because Christ is in heaven. And then he says, and we have a pledge of heaven with us on earth as well. Who's with us on earth? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with us. So not only in heaven do we have a pledge of heaven, but also on earth we have a pledge of heaven. Because we have the spirit of Christ that indwells with us. God has graciously given us a double guarantee that all that Christ has will be ours. Just as when Jesus says that you're in the Father's hands, but also you're in my hands. You are doubly secure, right? And also triply secure because we are in, we are in the Spirit. And just as if you are unsure of like, okay, will the Satan ever uh, uh, snatch me from uh, the hands of God? Well, saints, you have a double guarantee, right? Christ in heaven, but also the spirit on earth, right? What is one of the great benefits um, of the Holy Spirit? So that is a little bit of uh, an overview, like in the air, a million feet in the air, flyby of the ascension of Christ. And uh, um, as Brother Scott has encouraged me, we will get into the weeds a little bit uh, and consider some of the leaves in the forest um, next time we were together uh, and we consider this great doctrine of the ascension.